From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host and producer, Craig Williams. Craig, we are sweet 16 today. Oh, I didn't realize we were growing up so fast. Yes, I know. I know we're gonna we're we're gonna need keys to the Diz car now. We're old enough to drive. But where are we gonna go? Oh, um, well, I don't know which theme park do you want to go to. <laughs> yeah, well, if the temperature remains in the nineties and hundreds, none. I'm, I'm good right now. Okay, well, maybe we need to go to one um, in a cooler, cooler yeah. area. Maybe Paris, so, Hong Kong. That's well. I don't know. If Paris would be pleasant. I, d- I don't know how Asia is at this time of year. I don't either. I just assume since you can see the mountains behind Hong Kong, that hopefully it's a little bit chillier. But oh, th- those aren't like um, like the Matterhorn. Those aren't artificial. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, now, but speaking of theme parks, you just came back from our Disneyland. Yes, I did. How was your time in Southern California? It it was very rapid. Uh, I did a lot of stuff in a very short amount of time. So I I spent a day at Disneyland and ran around like crazy uh, doing Mm -hmm. as much as we could. Um, There was a little bit of disappointment on my dad's end from that. He was unaware. He missed the parking lot. He wanted a park right at the gate. (laughs) Actually, it was really awesome. It was my first time staying off-site where I'm at a hotel that's, like, right across the street. We were staying at a Fairfield Inn, um, just kind of, like, right over by where, like, Mimi's Cafe and that McDonald's are, just right across the road. Okay, I know exactly where that is. You know, I'm used to staying on property so much that I just – I didn't even realize. It takes – even less time off property to get to Disneyland than it does to get to Disneyland from the Disneyland Hotel, unless oh, you does. take the monorail. I could not believe that. Yeah, you're you're right. We talk about that on the Disneyland show, yeah. Dis Unplugged, um, you know, podcast Disneyland edition. That a lot of times it's more convenient to stay across the street yeah. uh, because uh, you know you're out of the bubble. But uh, you know, as we like to say, the Disney bubble. But it is so much faster. I, I mean, I will sometimes just run back to the room to, to pick up something for Carol. Like maybe she gets chilly in the yeah. evening. I can just run back to the room really fast and, and pick up her windbreaker or sweater and come back. Or if I have bought something, just run it back to the room. Yeah. Oh, it, it was so <clears throat> convenient. And then uh, – but uh, I, I've experienced it before from time to time on my trips out. And I guess – uh, whenever we talk about it on the Disney World edition, whenever we're always talking about Disneyland, uh, we never really go into the fact that the fireworks get canceled so often. 
because mm-hmm. of wind issues. And so, unfortunately, uh, both nights that we were in Anaheim, and the, specifically the one day we were inside Disneyland, uh-huh. the fireworks were canceled. And so that was, that was kind of a, a disappointment, but we got to eat so many great things see so many great attractions then from there we uh we went to pasadena and saw a baseball game at dodger stadium and then from there we went to hollywood and we hiked up behind the hollywood sign and then they had our concert at the hollywood bowl with chicago and the hollywood uh bowl orchestra with some fourth of july fireworks and then just that was basically the end of the trip a little bit more hikes around griffith observatory and it's, it's amazing how much you packed in it really <laughs> was i mean i i definitely slept on the red eye home without any <laughs> issues at all i just passed out instantly hmm. but yeah i heard you talking about the hollywood bowl on our walt disney world show and i thought you know i have never been to the hollywood bowl i drive by it all the time yeah, no, it was it was my first time in there, and I can just flat out say it will not be my last either. It was an incredible concert venue, and it's just one of those places I think everyone needs to see it. And I would actually be more excited, instead of seeing another uh, a band, I would be more excited to go to one of their... Uh, one of their events they do whenever they they'll play i know they were advertising it for an upcoming one but they were going to play uh the the new star trek movie not not the star trek beyond mm-hmm. but the the first reboot of the star trek series and instead of having the music or anything behind it they were going to have the symphony there playing yes. the, the actual score and i think something like that would be so cool I know they're doing one with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone as well too. So there's one, and I don't know where they're performing it or if they've already have. They were, but that an ET version of that is coming up. Oh, somewhere. Yeah, I would. Uh, I, w- I would love to see that too. I would just. I, I could do those all the time. So, and Disney will do those periodically from time to time. It'll yeah. be like Sleeping Beauty or Fan. Oh, they've done it with Fantasia. Uh, you know, sometimes they do that in symphony halls, but uh, in cities that don't have a big, you know, yeah. area like the Hollywood Bowl. And I think that's they did that in San Francisco. I think a few years ago, they showed it was in um, Davies Symphony Hall, and they so on the above the symphony they project in the back they projected the film, and the symphony played the whole soundtrack. Yeah, that's so cool. I yeah. We we rarely ever have anything like that in Orlando. It does happen from time to time, but uh, not not often enough. So, mm-hmm. but you know, we're Orlando. We don't like the arts or entertainment. <laughs> well, I, I I think Disney. some of that is well. No, you have the the, the um, Dr. Phillips Center. I hear about what we goes do. on there and all that. But I think for us though, as has been commented on on our show and the. Well, on a, we, our show and on the Disneyland show and on the Walt Disney World show is that Disneyland is just so ingrained in California culture. Yeah. And so uh, I think we have a lot more of those events throughout the state than they would in Florida. And I am so. jealous because of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but you guys do have Walt Disney World. So, you know, that's, that's nice too. <laughs> it's okay. Take yeah. it or leave it. But but I'm glad you had a good time. You have yep. to start planning your next trip out here. And come up, come up to Northern California. Just gotta find the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh oh, 
what 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 is there to life if not nothing but time <laughs> so now but speaking of, of getting together and all that we have our big Diz 10th anniversary mega meet coming up and connecting with Walt is playing a part of that yes yeah we we are there's a lot of different events um, connecting with Walt we are going to have our walk down main street usa uh, event and that's going to be sunday july 24th from 2 to 4 p.m. um and also not only will it be craig and myself but we we you know we you always have to plus it you know so we're going to have our special guest star like we we had in the club and we're going to have our host and producer of our disneyland show tom bell will also be with us um, sharing his knowledge of Walt and so we we're, we're going to you know point out although you know this is very fluid we're going to point out some some areas on Main Street at Walt at Disney World in the Magic Kingdom that have a direct connection back to Walt whether it's uh, some of the names on the windows on Main Street that are people that work directly with Walt or had something to do with the Magic Kingdom or Disneyland. Talk about those connections uh, and talk a little about the history of maybe uh, Main Street USA, the the statues of Roy and Walt. Uh, We'll touch on the castle. And then if there's time, we will uh, go over and look at some of the attractions that were very near and dear to Walt's heart that were also groundbreaking in just the theme park, you know, in in theme parks, such as the People Mover, the Carousel of Progress, if we have, and hopefully we can go on those attractions. And and I'm hoping we might be able to squeeze Country Bears in there, but we'll see. That's very ambitious. And, you know, at the same time, we want to chat and meet with our listeners. And we will, uh, you know, we are going to, there's going to be more information on the threads and probably announced on the Walt Disney World show and the Disneyland show about the mega meets. And, but, you know, we are going to limit it. And we are going to, so that will be on on the thread, on the Diz boards, how, um, you know, how many listeners are we going to have on that tour and where we'll meet up and all of that. But Craig, did you want to talk more about the Mega Meet? Uh, yeah, so for anyone who is hopefully listening to this uh, before um, the Mega Meet already happens, I know uh, people tend to take in our show after all said and done and uh so that yeah, way they, they binge just listen binge through. yeah yeah so yeah. i hope that's not happening with this one and you're listening to it each episode at the time so uh we have our our big uh mega meet event happening towards the end of july here from the 22nd to the 26th i believe are the official dates so friday uh, Friday morning through Tuesday, uh, we'll be hosting all sorts of events, uh, as well as a uh, an auction that will be all online too. So for anyone who's not at home that wants to bid on some of the items, uh, of course, all proceeds going to give kids the world. Um, then they'll be able to take part in that, and then uh, yeah, that it kind of will all accumulate into our live show on july 25th which is the official 10th anniversary of the first time uh the podcast was uh recorded so it's going to be a fantastic event i'm sure a lot of the people out here who are listening to this right now will also be at the meet and uh for the people who we haven't uh 
we haven't met yet. I can't wait to to meet you out here and hope that hope that uh we all get to sit around and have some uh some good times together, make some good oh, memories. So uh and I kind of going off what you said with the uh limiting the meat. Uh I we're not limiting it just because of you know, we don't we don't want as many people there as possible because we, w- we would love to have as many people there as possible. But we also have to be considerate of the July crowds that will be mm-hmm. packed in there. And we want to make sure that everyone who is able to attend is going to be able to hear us. Um, exactly. We're not think- going to have the little earpieces and exactly. all that that the, the guided tours have at Disneyland. It's, it's me, Craig, and Tom just... Um, just talking <laughs> yeah so <laughs> above and, the crowds and we will all be available throughout the rest of the weekend as well mm-hmm. uh to if you don't get to be a part of that one and you just want to come up and chat with us a little bit and uh talk about uh one of those things that we all have in common which is so rare with us we usually have nothing in common as uh people uh but yeah we'll we'll be around so it, it's oh, going absolutely. to be a very good time yeah, Carol and I are signing up for a lot of the events, and, you know, we'll be all over the park. We're flying in on the 20th, and then we're flying home on the 27th, so we'll definitely be around. And this is our first Connecting with Walt meet. Yeah. You know, we were at we were at Dispalooza, but we really didn't... Uh, I don't know if we were actually in the same place at the same time, standing next to each other at any po- point in that evening. I had my own little connecting with Walt line that spontaneously started <laughs> in the middle of Diagon Alley. But, uh, but um, this will be the first time Craig and I are doing a connecting with Walt event. And so we're very excited to, to meet all of you. Yeah. So. No, I'm, I'm definitely excited. So. And and you can of course you know be really fancily dressed by by wearing your own connecting with Walt shirt yeah because you know ever since the, um, Will who designed our logo um, launched it we've been we've gotten all kinds of requests for the logo to be on a shirt or be on something and and your your wishes have been granted so we we have the diz online store and there there's a lot of things on there that that craig i hope you'll tell the listeners about but one of them is there is a connecting with walt you're going to see our logo click on it and there's all kinds you could just decorate your whole house and connecting with walt show your love for walt and um but there's shirts and there's the mega meat shirt and you know all that so i've already ordered my stuff so what else is on the online store and where can they get to it uh they can get to it of course in our show notes this on plug.com um the amount uh, i don't know the link offhand i know it's through t public but i'm not quite sure what the the back end of the url is it was such a surprise to me that any of this even happened i was it was all kind of came together whenever i was uh or whenever i was in disneyland and uh all of a sudden i just got a link from Corey and will me too (laughs) here's our our merch and it's like oh oh okay i didn't realize we were we were having merch so then i went and looked at it and kind of uh browsed through everything so i haven't even had the chance to order anything yet so i'm hoping i get around to it very very soon here and of course now that i'm trying to find the link to it 
I can't find it at all anywhere. Um, I, I, but, I know that what comes up because I have it open on my iPad because you know I just gaze yeah. at the beauty of this shirt and it's <laughs> tpublic.com and then I know we had to search for it. We searched for Diz and I think that's when the whole site comes up. Um, but then if you search for Connecting with Walt, the Connecting with Walt site comes up. But yeah, there's a link I know on, on the Diz boards. Yes, I know that place. It, yes. So. I, I've seen it on there as well, too. So I will make sure that uh, it is out there so everyone can find some good fun merch. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so you'll be able to find me. I'll be i'll have some connecting with walt yeah. stuff on me so but anyway well we, i think we've 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 had a nice chat here so let's jump in to our episode here uh during the july season of connecting with walt we are going to be taking a closer look at some of the design elements of walt disney world's magic kingdom uh, so in this episode craig and i are going to compare and contrast the layout of of and the design of the Magic Kingdom with Walt's Disneyland. Uh, is the Magic Kingdom simply a larger version of Disneyland, or did the Imagineers learn from Disneyland when designing the Magic Kingdom? Uh, was it made with a magical plan? And we're also going to share our thoughts on, on you know, uh, what we think of the Disneyland layout, the Magic Kingdom layout, you know, what, what works? Are there, is there anything that doesn't work? You know, things like that. Um, it can't be denied that the Magic Kingdom owes its, it owes its existence to Disneyland. Although both parks share similar concepts, there are significant differences. Uh, some of these differences are the results of lessons learned from Disneyland, and others are the result of creative innovations by the Imagineers and designers, and also because of new films that came out from the Walt Disney Studio that inspired attractions. Um, other differences reflect the era in which the Magic Kingdom was designed and constructed. Now, Walt Disney disliked repeating himself. He insisted the Magic Kingdom have its own identity and not be a mirror image of Disneyland. So in the beginning, the Imagineers worked to develop the Magic Kingdom independently from Disneyland. Now, both parks feature trains chugging around the perimeter, as Walt had insisted from the earliest concepts for Disneyland. Uh, a castle stands at the center of both parks, surrounded by the realms of Main Street USA, Fantasyland, Frontierland, Adventureland, and Tomorrowland. However, there are variations between these realms at Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom. At Disneyland, there are two lands adjacent to Frontierland, New Orleans Square and Critter Country. Uh, um, instead of these lands, the Magic Kingdom has Liberty Square, which was derived from a concept for Disneyland's Main Street USA. Also, the Magic Kingdom is larger than Disneyland, 120 acres compared to 80 acres. Uh, Disneyland was originally conceived as purely for families to enjoy time together, submersed in lands of fantasy, adventure, and nostalgia. Uh, Walt's vision of Disney World, as it was called during his time, was far more ambitious, uh, which led to even more variations between the two parks. 
which really made Disney World an experiment in urban planning. Now, Walt designed Disneyland through his eyes as a filmmaker and constantly improved Disneyland based on his observations of guest behavior and conversations as he walked through the park. He'd sit on benches just watching guests interacting with his park and and making mental notes and talking with guests in the attraction queues. Uh, It would be all kind... He would ask them, you know, what did they like about the ride? What did they not like? Um, If they rode on the carousel, it would be what... Back then, the horses were not all the same color, he would ask questions about which horse did they ride? Why did they like it? What color horse did they ride? Why did they like that color horse? I, I mean, he really questioned them about everything. Yeah. He he would notice um, where they walked. And if people started walking, let's say, across a lawn or something, because it was a shorter distance, he would then tell the designers, make a path there. So, so he was constantly changing things. And all of this contributed to Walt's new design ideas for the Magic Kingdom. And one of his ideas was to create a better introduction to the show. Uh, Walt believed guests at Disneyland were thrown too quickly into the story without any opportunity to separate themselves from the outside world. So the blessing of size, as Walt always referred to the Disney World project, um, allowed Walt to correct this for the Magic Kingdom. So Walt chose the location of the Magic Kingdom near the north side of the Disney World property, and the swampland here could be converted into a body of water around which to place resort hotels and to offer water sports and other recreational activities. And situating the park on one side and the parking lot on the other of this body of water would give guests the sense of arrival Walt was looking for. Yeah, but I I think it's over time that has now, because society has changed, that has kind of failed in essence, where, you know, guests do. They they pull up and they, they park if they're there at the parking lot. If they're staying at one of the hotels, they obviously have a different journey to go on. But now the fact that you don't get that, okay, I'm going to walk there and then I'm boom, I'm right there. Now we get that immediate sense of, okay, well, you have the you can either ride the monorail over or you have one of the ferry boats and i can include myself in because i know i am extremely guilty of it but you know by the time everyone gets on these it's not this sense of excitement that okay we're almost there we're almost there i can see it up ahead it's just everyone staring at their phones and constantly you know doing the exact opposite of what Walt wanted. Walt wants them to connect with what's in front of them and not the outside world, leave that all behind and transform themselves into a new place. But I feel now because you have those, that this situation where you're giving them extra time to do all these things and disconnect even further from it, that it's actually ruining the story. Then by the time you get there, you show up, you get off and then you're all of a sudden you're at security I know and and I know Disney's recognize everybody has their noses in their phones yeah. so that, that they're cut they come up with the apps and they come up with little games and things that interact you know with the you know with 
attractions and yeah. queues and all of that. But you're right. People are missing out on a, on so much yeah. because they're no longer – and they're not even relating to each other anymore. Exactly. You know? no, and they, the queues, they're all playing on their uh, – you know, they're checking their email or they're playing games on their phones and all of that. And Yeah. Uh, Again, I'm, yeah. I am guilty of this. I can't sit here mm-hmm. and – uh, not gonna act like I'm, I'm being a hypocrite about it because I, I do it all the time um, and I wish even I could cut that but whenever your job is to go to the parks it, it's a little bit right. more challenging to do that but I, I do have to say you're right with the uh, with having like uh, my Disney experience on the phone one thing that I am starting to see now is whenever families do sit down on the monorail or the ferry boat if they're all together they might pull out their phones and see what the wait times are and start to prepare in that way and i think that is completely acceptable or Mm -hmm. let's say they are in line and you know they're using it as a resource to to look up facts about the ride or maybe even play a, a game that gets all of their family involved i know heads up has become so popular while waiting yes. in lines. Um, mm-hmm. Stuff like that. It's that that helps keep them in the moment. That helps keep everything together. It's just whenever you let those outside moments that distract why you went on vacation to begin with, in that's whenever it kind of ruins the whole concept of it. And I, I don't even remember why I started off on any of this. But well, it, just it was because good. we were talking about the, the <laughs> entrance to yes. the show, the destination that's that, right. that Walt wanted. And that's why the the Magic Kingdom was was where it is. And even after Walt passed away, and they were finally getting ready to you know lay out the property for the Magic Kingdom, and, and I think we talked about this in an earlier episode. Of course, the bookkeepers and everyone wanted to put it right near the entrance, yeah. right off the highway, and because uh, then people could see it and they'd be attracted to it. But Roy stuck by Walt's plans and and put it there because he knew there was wisdom in Walt's decision. So, um, so, you know, good for Roy that he stuck with it. So, now, another concept that carried over from Walt's Disneyland um, in the Magic Kingdom was the hub-and-spoke layout. And that's also known as the magic wand layout of the park. And in his book, Theme Park Design and the Art of Themed Entertainment, a friend of Connecting with Walt, David Younger, uh, go back and listen to his uh, interview with us that we had him on a couple seasons back, uh, writes about this layout. Um, the hu- he said, the hub-and-spoke layout out consists of a central plaza from uh, from which walkways to the various lands radiate outwards and the hub and spoke layout was the idea of Walt Disney who explained the more I go to other amusement parks in all parts of the world the more I am convinced of the wisdom of the original concepts of Disneyland I mean I have a single entrance through which all traffic would flow then a hub off which the various areas were situated that gives gives people a sense of orientation. They know where they are at all times, and it saves a lot of walking. But as David Younger observed, the hub-and-spoke layout did contain the flaw of requiring guests to return to the hub from a land before proceeding to the next. So in actuality, it was increasing the distance a guest needed to walk. 
So a strength of the layout is the dominance of the hub in an open circular space at the center of the park. And Walt Disney explains Disneyland's hub, or what we call the central plaza. This is a magical place. The important thing is the castle. Make it tall enough to be seen from all around the park. It's got to keep people oriented, and I want a hub at the end of Main Street from where the other lands will radiate, like spokes of a wheel. I've been studying the way people move at museums and other entertainment places. Everybody's got tired feet. I don't want that to happen in this place. I want a place for people to sit down and where older folks can say, you kids run on. I'll meet you here in half an hour. Disneyland is going to be a place where you can't get lost or tired unless you want to. Now, the lessons learned from Disneyland, along with its basic storytelling elements, was the foundation for the Magic Kingdom. The blessing of size enabled the Imagineers and designers to enlarge the grandeur and efficiency of the Magic Kingdom's design. The Cinderella Castle was designed to serve a different function than Sleeping Beauty Castle. At Disneyland, Walt did not want Sleeping Beauty Castle to be visible from outside the park. The castle would be revealed to guests when they turned from Town Square to Main Street, USA. And that would be the weenie, as Walt called it. That would be the the thing that drew you down, um, down Main Street. However, guests who had to make the six-mile drive from the main highway to reach the Magic Kingdom had to be reassured that the theme park was actually there. So, with spires soaring to a 189 feet, more than 100 feet taller than Sleeping Beauty Castle, Cinderella Castle was designed to be seen from a distance as a weenie drawing guests through the property towards the park. And Imagineers also wanted the castle to be seen from the resorts, monorail, and ferry boats. So as mentioned previously, the Magic Kingdom is encircled by the Walt Disney World Railroad. And for many guests, the steam locomotives are a direct connection to Walt Disney, whose passion for trains led him to construct the miniature Carrollwood Pacific Railroad in his backyard, and later encircling Disneyland with a railroad that he took great joy in taking the engineer's stick himself and driving dignitaries around the park himself on a Grand Circle tour. The railway is designed to lend character and story to the town square and main street areas of the park, and it also draws a boundary around the Magic Kingdom. The railroad serves as as transportation to various realms of the kingdom and provides a grand circle tour of the Magic Kingdom so guests can get their bearings, although I believe the Disneyland Railroad does a better job of this than the Magic Kingdom's. Yeah, I completely agree with that, and I know we talked about it a little bit on last week's episode. Um, I think it was last week's already at this time. My goodness. It could have been <laughs> a couple months ago for all I know. Uh, I just, I prefer Disneyland Railroad in that, uh, yeah, it was last week's because I mentioned uh, going through the um, diorama, through the Grand Canyon and all mm-hmm. that. Like, I, I do love that aspect, but it's not even just that part. It's It's that I feel like with the Disneyland Railroad, they went through such effort to truly make it 
an attraction as well as transportation if that's all you want it to be. And I, I still, to the day, I don't see that with Walt Disney World. It is, to me, it is simply transportation. Uh, there's there's just nothing very exciting along the way. Yeah, there are, whenever you're going through Frontierland, you're seeing some of the, the, the Native Americans and the animals in the forest, and you still get to go through Splash Mountain, and there, there's little moments like that, but beyond it, it's, it's really just to get you uh, from point A to point B, and then C and D and back to A, but I, it just, it doesn't resonate like Disneyland, and even then, the the trains just don't seem as important as Disneyland's either. You know, people people that are Disneyland fans they they love certain trains. They they die hoping that they get to ride the Lily Bell one day. There's just mm-hmm. such an aura surrounding all of it that at Disney at Walt Disney World it just doesn't exist. People could take or leave the train, and that kind of stinks. <laughs> Yeah, well, and 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 I know there are you know definitely there are guests who appreciate the train at Walt Disney World, but you know ours are again it just goes back to the legacy because yeah. we know Walt loved those trains. Those trains were all handmade. All those locomotives they were not unlike Disney World's where those were real locomotives that that the Disney company you know Roger Brogy you know, yeah. and found, and then they and then you know. Disney refurbished them and brought them up to their splendor. Uh, ours were all, except for one, ours were all made and crafted, and uh, so the, and so there's there's something about that as well. Yeah. But those were made at the Walt Disney Studio and at railroad yards and all that, and put together. And you know that, that's that, that's something amazing as well it's you know what they really should do at the magic kingdom at walt disney world is they should do what walt originally had mark davis do when he had him when he tasked him to uh, critique the magic the our magic kingdom disneyland he wanted he he had mark create vignettes that passengers on the railroad would see for each land so they get an idea what was in the land. Yeah. And what he created was so good. Uh, well, Disney said, these are too damn good. Uh, pardon me, but that is what he said. <laughs> um, to For just a few guests to see. And he had them incorporated into the attractions. That's the, the, the lost um, safari in the Jungle Cruise, that was originally designed to be at the side of Disneyland's Walt Di- Railroad when you go when you went through that part of um, Adventureland. Wow! And and there's a couple of other little things that made their way into Frontierland and all that that John had originally designed to be seen only from the railroad, and that and that's uh, maybe that's what they need to do to spice it up at Walt Disney World is actually have some interesting scenes that indicate what land you're go- you're going past. Yeah. I, I really think that's all it would take. Um, mm-hmm. It's It really wouldn't be that much effort to just up it a little bit by adding that, that little bit of extra entertainment. Um, not to keep going back to it, but whenever you don't have that distraction happening on the outside, that's as soon as you see people picking up their phones 
and just using it as a break for them to get off their feet, get to the next place they need to go, and also have a chance to check out their phone. And that's right. not what it should be about. It it is a it's it's an attraction. You should exactly. be experiencing it like attraction. So exactly. So there, so there you go. Imagineering. There, there's our idea that we borrowed from Walton Mark Davis. <laughs> Feel free to reuse it. <laughs> Please, but give us credit. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. So they can make audio animatronic figures of us and incorporate us into some scene. I, I don't know <laughs> on if the I want that. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> um, anyway, well, guests enter the Magic Kingdom through the tunnels beneath the Main Street Railroad Station, where they leave the outside world behind. Passing through the tunnels, guests enter the town square and look down a picturesque Victorian street with an 18-story fairy tale castle in the distance. Now, Main Street USA is designed as a recreation of an idealized small turn of the 20th century town, um, you know, Main Street of a small town. If you walk through an actual small town, there is no color harmony, and the experience can be distracting. So John Hench and the designers work to color coordinate all the facades of Main Street on both sides to create a strong sense of color harmony. Uh, the colors are brighter. The Victorian filigree of the buildings are stimulating. Uh, music plays throughout the street and shops. All shops are open and well-stocked with merchandise. An enticing scents waft from the candy store and other eateries. Um, all our senses are fully engaged giving us a sense of reassurance as we stroll to the central plaza or hub. So, um, and, and you know, and now do you, and again, a, a thing that I notice is I have a very different feel on the Magic Kingdom's Main Street than I do Disneyland's Main Street. And I don't think that's only because I grew up with Disneyland. I, 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 I just feel that Somehow, there's a whole different vibe in the Magic Kingdom's Main Street. I don't know if if you feel the same way, Craig, or do you feel they're pretty much the same, or what? No, I absolutely feel different. It's not so much to say that... Uh, I, I don't want to say it in a bad way. I actually do really love uh, Walt Disney World's Main Street. Um, I, I think it is unique and special in its own ways, and... It, it's still grand always walking through. Um, but the thing that separates the two for me is I... First, I, I think it might be because of the scale of the buildings, but with Disneyland being a little bit lower, a little bit more intimate in that way, it feels a lot bigger to me, which I know mm-hmm. doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, you'd think taller, higher, you'd feel more encapsulated but for some reason it's the opposite. It just seems wide and just just very inviting and then it also having that sense of it doesn't feel like whenever they they uh, they refurb Disneyland's Main Street, which I, I know they do they have to do it everywhere but it doesn't feel like they give it a nice new face paint. It, it feels like they more restore it to that look that you would expect these buildings to have from their time period where anytime our main street is updated, I feel like they're trying to make it as 
as contemporary as possible. Yeah, no, not with the color scheme or anything, but it, they make it look like this is the paint job of something that just happened last week with our best painters that we have, and we're really proud of it. Um, mm-hmm. It just gives it that shine. It gives it that that glow that you don't have in Disneyland's, which, again, while it it is very very pretty and it's very inviting to be there it it lacks that charm that you have in disneyland's and then uh, to to dig uh, to drive the nail in the coffin the fact that we don't even have the gas lanterns at walt disney world that that hurts it a lot so it's probably my favorite part of disneyland's main street having the having all the gas lamps as you're walking down it's just Right, because you're in the you're moving into the electrical age yeah. at in the Magic Kingdom, whereas ours we we haven't quite made it into the electrical age. Yeah, and so. I mean, with that, with the two different time periods too, that that starts to entail what's actually happening inside the shops as well. And whereas we've talked about it many times on all of our different shows in Disneyland's. Uh, inside their shops on Main Street. It's just so uniquely themed. Just amazing attractions in themselves walking through them. Whereas Walt Disney World, while they are all well-stocked and they have the sights, the sounds, the senses, it's just not quite on the same level. Ours feel more like like modern department stores where you want to be more focused on what you're buying instead of the entire experience of being there. So, uh, again, I, I do love our Main Street. It's one of my favorite places to just sit and relax on. But it's, it's another that just it doesn't quite match up to the original. Yeah, and we're, we're going to do a whole episode on Main Street USA. And so we're not going to... I don't want to give too much away what we're going to talk about yeah i mean there are there are very uh there are very utilitarian reasons why the the magic kingdom main street is the size it is yes and uh, compared to disneyland so it wasn't like they they you know purposely didn't want to make it as charming uh you know there there's some there are some real issues they had to deal with you know building a a resort out in the middle of nowhere yeah. whereas you know they had to put in offices and support structure and things like that that Disneyland didn't have to worry about because they were in a, you know they were in more of an urban area exactly. so so we'll get we'll get into all that and um, you know in in a few weeks and we'll talk we might even talk about it on our um, our mega meet connecting with Walt on Main Street USA excellent so um but uh, the the spoken wheel hub uh, radiates out from the central plaza and divides the Magic Kingdom into separate well, realms after you, you finish your walk down Main Street. Now, encircling the plaza is a waterway. And from 1973 to 1983, guests could sail on that waterway aboard these large um, swan boats. So, and I definitely remember those. Just a very leisurely float around. Um, Cinderella Castle at the end of Main Street serves as a reference point, guiding guests back to the Central Plaza to enter other realms in search of fun and adventure. Now, the Magic Kingdom's designers corrected the flaw of the hub-and-spoke layout in Disneyland that 
required guests to return to the central plaza before entering a new realm by employing what, again, what David Younger called in his book, the hub, spoke, and wheel layout, in which each realm was connected to a walkway in the backside or outside of the land to its neighboring land. So this layout also resolved the dead ends and congestion that was common in Disneyland. I mean, a lot of people don't realize, you know, that big thunder um, trail that it's closed right now yeah. for the Star Wars expansion. But in Fantasyland, where that starts, that ended there, and there was a, a basically a snack stand yeah, right I, there. I and I couldn't believe it the first time you uh, told me about that. I never, mm-hmm. I never assumed that it just did dead end like that. It, it made no sense. I mean, it does make sense, but growing up with Walt Disney World. It makes sense that it all connects in that wheel shape. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and and one of the one of the other I don't know flaws of Hub and Spoke is that then you have the whole backstage surrounding the park, which means that it can limit the growth of the park. Yeah, or you have these maybe a backstage islands suddenly where the as you expand you start expand, expanding in and around the backstage and all that so. yeah that's a good point mm-hmm. um, now the magic kingdom central plaza has open swaths of walkways and space and provides a more restful area and distance from the entrances to the various realms of the Magic Kingdom. And this is a very different aesthetic from the small town park feel of Disneyland's Central Plaza. And your Central Plaza went through, they they really changed that layout and that design a, a couple of years ago. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, in the, in the past year, that's still in its first year of kind of being in its, its new form with having... Well, wide open spaces so that way it provides more room for uh, fireworks viewing and celebrate the magic viewing and it also it, it made more inviting uh, spaces to sit and relax in during the day whenever they don't have anything going on there I, I, I do miss the waterways you know it's one of those things now it's I, I have so many memories of the whole hub plaza area now just from going so often throughout the years but it's I I, I do miss it I, I can picture it perfectly in my head and it just it did take up a lot of unnecessary space but uh, I'm I come from that opinion where sometimes that unnecessary use of space is better left that way for a visual aesthetic um, right. but that being said it is so much easier watching fireworks at our castle now and oh, being in that area it's so much more enjoyable it is it, 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 I thought they did a nice job with it I agree the water is very nice relaxing gave you a cooling yeah. feel you know visual feel uh, but um, yeah and I, and I did notice how nice it is that people will just sit down and relax and chat yeah. you know on the grass the, the uh, tough and, part that I hate about all of it is the shade um I I know I have pictures of it and I remember it from whenever I was growing up coming in the 90s whenever Magic Kingdom in the the hub area still had trees all around mm-hmm. and granted yeah they were blocking views of fireworks and they're making things more difficult but I think if they could find a way to just add in 
that greenery back in and not in the form of grass and extra bushes and shrubbery all around but actual trees in there uh, i think our hub could be getting close to perfect again mm-hmm. yeah and that, uh, that is an issue in disneyland's hub it, it, uh, the trees that, that they do block fireworks and we have such a small area yeah. from which to watch them although that might not be an issue for a little while if the rumors are true but yeah but uh what I like, though, to me, is, this is totally on a tangent, is I remember when I was a, a boy, one of the things I loved about Disneyland at night were the twinkling lights in the trees in the central plaza. Yeah. That just seems so magical to me, probably because I never saw them anywhere else, except maybe at Christmas time. Oh. And, and you know, for a while they were saying we weren't going to have those anymore because it was harmful to the trees. But I'm noticing that you so that so as the lights went out, they were removing them. Yeah. And also it made it hard to trim the trees. But I'm noticing they're going, they seem to be going back in now. Yeah. So um, now it's such a simple, easy little effect that just <laughs> adds in that little extra twinkle of magic at, at those parks. It's. It's, but we can't have that at ours because yeah. we don't have any trees. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I guess we could add that on the walkway into uh, Adventureland at Magic mm-hmm. Kingdom. So get some there. Mm-hmm. Or in Fantasyland. Yeah. And that would certainly be a good place to have them in nope. the Enchanted Forest. Yeah, it'd probably make a little sense, too. But yeah. who's ever back there at night? Come on. <laughs> Um, Now, on the southwest corner of the plaza is the Crystal Palace restaurant, which acts as a visual transition from Victorian Main Street and the tropical Adventureland Bridge. Uh, The glass-ceilinged atrium of the restaurant harkens back to the uh, architectural styles of Victorian Main Street and the elegant British garden conservatories, greenhouses, and aviaries of the mid nineteenth century. That would and and those types of buildings were also built um, during British colonialism. So very symbolic of that, which is of course what advi- that's the transition for Adventureland. It's from Vic- a Victorian street to sort of the Victorian British colonial area era. Um, the first major expansion of Adventureland was Caribbean Plaza in December 1973, to, uh, which was built to house Pirates of the Caribbean. And Caribbean Plaza, though, is also the wheel of the hub's spoken wheel design because it provides that outside transition and walkway from Spanish Plaza on the northwest side of Adventureland to the Spanish-influenced architectural style of the 1850s American Southwest in the southwest corner of Frontierland. So so now here's our first land that, you know, Disneyland has its little Adventureland, but uh, this here's a land, there's significant changes to the layout that the Imagineers yeah. did for Magic Kingdom. Um, besides size, uh, so uh, so. What are your thoughts on that, Craig? Uh, this is actually one that I, I think Walt Disney World is a little bit more triumphant on than out at Disneyland, and uh, I want to keep it as beyond size as possible. But uh, it, it's just the entire flow of it. The how everything is set up really the only major uh major problem with how traffic gets through at ours is uh around the magic carpets of aladdin Mm -hmm. that 
uh, just sits there beautifully ruining the the great picture opportunities that you could have uh, at the Enchanted Tiki Room if it was just out of the way. Um, but, you know, not not everyone's a photographer. Some people would rather go on uh, Dumbo version 6.0 or whatever right. they're up to now. Uh, but overall, I think it, it, it does work better um, in, in terms of how the layout was and, and definitely lengthening it where, uh, of course, at Disneyland, you know, as soon as you get to the end of your adventure land, that would lead you into uh, either uh, Frontierland, if you go the one way, or if you go the other way, then you're kind of getting dropped off into New Orleans Square. And so I like that this does have that nice, complete, natural transition mm-hmm. into into the next land, as you said, Frontierland. Um, it's it works really really well i i do enjoy it well i'm not a fan of all of the rides that we have all the attractions in our adventure land and by that um you know our pirates our inferior inferior pirates it, it still works it works so well yeah and yeah oh definitely uh, because of the way they did the layout at magic kingdom they could have those transitions yeah. that disneyland really just didn't have the space for and you know they 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 attempted it. Well, first of all, our our Adventureland is is small, you know, or you know, charming, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but and so I do get more of a feel I'm in the jungle just because you know the trees are so huge and above yeah. you and compact. But the problem is, you know, try moving through there in the afternoon or evening, and it's darn near impossible. And, um, you know, and then, you know, they they did the footbridge to try to deal with some of that transition with pirates and, you know, in, and the crowds into, you know, New Orleans Square. Yeah. And, and, then they, but, and then they put, you know, when we, they changed our Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse, which I'm so happy you have, you still have it, and, you know, made it Tarzan's and they did that extension you know, over and and yeah. it was either if they didn't if Tony Baxter hadn't convinced them of that that tree was going, they were going to get rid of it. So that's you know as much as maybe we don't like it, at least we st- that saved the tree, and, and 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 its history. But they they also are looking at you know because you have that footbridge there, even though it does clog things up. Um, it sort of provides a transition. It's now a little archway yeah. sort of in there. And that was like the best they could do. Yeah. The the only thing I don't like about the front Magic Kingdom's Frontierland is you have to walk down steps to get to Jungle Cruise. And I thought that doesn't feel very jungly to me to have steps in there. But you know, yeah. what can you do? That's a minor thing. Yeah. But, um, no, I and that's yeah, that that is something that has always been kind of odd with with how that was set up. But I, I completely agree with you on the the aspect of that Disneyland's Adventureland. I think it is more immersive in terms of the theming, but it is just it, it's a cluster. I, yeah. I as much as I love Disneyland's, uh, it's hard to defend it whenever you just want to rip your hair out while you're moving through there. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's worth it for for Enchanted Tiki Room, Jungle Cruise, and Indiana Jones. But, oh, definitely. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you, you just have to, you know, you have to pack your sanity for a while away. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. So anyway, so yeah, so I think yeah, so I think Imagineers definitely learned yeah. from Disneyland when they designed the layout for the Magic Kingdom's front, uh, Adventureland there. Yeah. Now, now if you uh, like now. As in Disneyland, you know, our next realm here, Frontierland is a tribute to the American pioneer spirit that inspired Americans to move westward from the 1770s to 1880s. And the design and architecture covers the Old South, the Mississippi, and the Southwest. Now, Frontierland transitions on the Northeast to Liberty Square, which is a historical land unique to the Magic Kingdom, but based on an idea originally proposed for Disneyland um, as part of a proposed 1958 expansion to the east of Disneyland's Main Street, USA, um, Edison Square, which later inspired the Carousel of Progress, and Liberty Street, from which great moments with Mr. Lincoln, Liberty Square, and the Hall of Presidents derived were announced but never built. Um, Disneyland has New Orleans Square, and the Magic Kingdom has um, Liberty Square. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so again, uh, you know, our Frontierland isn't quite the congestion problem um, that our Adventureland is out here. Yeah, but but again, you know, and and I think a lot of it is because it runs along the rivers of America. So again, what do you think of of the two layouts between Disneyland and and um, and you know Frontierland, New Orleans Square out here, and then and maybe even Critter Country as an extension of that, and then yours with um, Frontierland and Liberty Square. Yeah, ours is uh, ours is tough. I think this is one aspect that uh, that they really didn't learn from Disneyland whenever they were going to to make this in Walt Disney World. The first thing I I dislike about Walt Disney World's uh, Frontierland is that we don't get that that going out of Realm Portal and straight into that because we have to leave we have to go through Liberty Square not that it's a problem. Liberty Square is as I get older is becoming my favorite favorite area inside Magic Kingdom so Mm -hmm. I love always having the opportunity to go through but uh, you know I, I love the iconic going through the fort gates that you do at Disneyland. There's just something special about that that I wish was represented at Walt Disney World. Um, but it's not. But once you get in the land, you know, it, our, ours is very, very wide. Again, kind of like Adventureland, uh, it's, it's wide. It's much easier to navigate to get through. However, with our frontier land as well as well, I mean, ours goes into what would be New Orleans Square and Critter Country and um, all of that area. It's just, it's a very similar common theme is that Disneyland's just so good at utilizing the limited space they have, where ours, it's it just feels like a lot of empty space as you're going through. Not that it isn't filled with shopping or attractions or other things. Uh, I just... I, I feel like to give that sense of I have some breathing room, I have I have room to really go and explore, uh, because of that it, it feels like they sacrificed in what's actually going in there. So uh un- unfortunately, yeah, this is this is one where um Disneyland, although congested in areas because of the sheer amount of people trying to get through these pathways, I, I feel like they did a better job at utilizing all of the space that was there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I I I love Liberty Square. I, I agree with you. That actually is my favorite um, land or realm of the Magic Kingdom, yeah. and probably for many of the same reasons that I like New Orleans Square. I like the uh, the, the aesthetic, the theme. I like that Disney did such a nice job of of creating basically a reality within a fantasy. Because like New Orleans Square was the first real, the first realm they they built that was based on reality, yeah. And Liberty Square is that for for the Magic Kingdom. Uh, that's why I'm just so disheartened that they're introducing the Muppets into Liberty Square at your Magic Kingdom. Um, anyway, but, yeah. But I, yeah, whenever it's but open, that's a different, yeah. That's a different show. I know, but yeah. I don't know. Because I feel that is going to completely remove you from the environment and the theme and everything that you're supposed to be immersed in. Yeah. No, I yeah. I completely agree with that point. And I think that is why I do enjoy our, our Liberty Square so much. It just... My goodness. There is something about it that just... It, it's hard to walk through there and not get that patriotic sense. That, mm-hmm. that proudness about it and then also just it, it does a great job of truly transporting you to another time um, almost more so that I would argue than Frontierland which also does transport you to another time and place but something about Liberty Square just, just hits it a little bit more on the nose and uh, yeah the if the Muppets thing does come to pass and it is truly happening there which uh, Basically, at this point, I'm getting, I'm getting so tired of rumors, and this is supposedly going in, and this is going to take over this and that, that I'm, I'm almost getting out of the game where I'm not trusting anything until it's out of it's soft there. opening and it's completely <laughs> opening. Because yeah. uh, at this point, with how the, all the problems we're having with Frozen over in Norway, it might as well not even be an attraction that's there. <laughs> So, but but I I like it, the layout of your Liberty Square and Frontierland. I, I think again, it's I I like the, how you can walk along the river. I'm a sucker yeah. for rivers, though. Uh, the, the only layout issue is that they have two huge attractions right next to each other, and that's Splash Mountain and Thunder Mountain for me. Yeah. And and that can be a little congested, but I know it's because they were never intended to be there. Yeah. That was Mark Davis's Thunder Mesa, which that would have been just so grand if that had been built there. And the only other thing is more of a design flaw when I'm in the Magic Kingdom at night and I'm walking back from um, that area where those two attractions are. You know, the and we'll get into a little bit why this happens. The you go up an incline and then down again there is, towards Caribbean Plaza there is a bright light that shines right in your face that's yeah. illuminating the downward side of the path but because you're going up you're eye level with it yeah and yeah. that really bothers me and I thought has nobody ever noticed this probably and, not um, or they just they, don't know who to talk to about it yeah so um <laughs> No, I agree. I do. I enjoy that. Uh, unlike Disneyland, where you just kind of you wind your way around the river as you can walk uh, right beside. I do enjoy that we have our nice, uh, our nice kind of like wooden piers that fall alongside it. Mm-hmm. That 
not enough people genuinely use and walk on them unless they're being forced on there during like a parade time. But I, that's my, always my number one place that I want to walk on as yeah, I'm moving through there. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, and um, so now, what happens then is is that after we're we're there, Liberty Square, we cross the footbridge out of Liberty Square and into the Central Plaza, and then guests turn north. And there is Cinderella Castle, the entrance to the realm most closely associated with Walt and the realization of all that represents Disney, um, Fantasyland. And within the walls of the castle live the Disney characters of our favorite Disney films. Now, an expansion to Fantasyland opened on June 18th, 1988, um, you know, Mickey Starland, to celebrate Mickey Mouse's 60th birthday, and guests boarded a special birthday express train to the new Birthdayland station, and Mickey Mouse greeted guests in a colorful tent building. And this temporary area proved so popular, it remained open as Mickey's Starland. And in 1966, Imagineers developed a more permanent land, uh, Mickey's Toontown Fair, after the success of Disneyland's more urban-style Mickey's Toontown. But to make way for Storybook Circus, Mickey's Toontown Fair closed in 2011, and then Fantasyland went through an extensive expansion and renovation between 2010 and 2014 um, with the addition of the Enchanted Forest. So this, so your fantasy land is just so significantly larger than ours, and and such a different layout, um, yeah, than, than than the Disneyland version. I know, absolutely, it is, and I think that that is one of the reasons why it's it's impossible for people for me to listen to people say, "Well, I don't want to go to Disneyland. It's just the same thing as Disney World." No, they are two complete separate beasts and anyone who would say well i have so many attractions in Fantasyland at disney disneyland why do i need to come to disney world the answer isn't for mine train uh that's just going to disappoint you um but just seeing how completely different it is it's it, it's pretty incredible um and i i hope they continue the Enchanted Forest style recreation with all of our fantasy land. I wish that it could it could make its way over into the Peter Pan area as well as uh, the Small World area and Filler Magic and, and all around there instead of just being kind of cornered off to the one side because it is just so really well done. Um, and I, I do love how open it is and it's that's the thing that I don't know how Disneyland people do it on such a constant basis. Again, like the rest of the park, Fantasyland's always clogged up. Magic Kingdom's Fantasyland, is, it was built to handle this capacity in these crowds, yet it's always a nightmare navigating around it, too, which just makes absolutely no sense at points. But uh, it, it really is a, a special and unique place. And did did you get to visit before whenever um a lot of times back whenever we had our 20,000 leagues under the sea and oh, yes. as well as Starland and all that? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so did and you know even our children got to Good. experience those attractions. I I I think the submarine voyage I think was uh, or 20,000 leagues under the sea was a, a tremendous loss. Yeah. Uh again just that it's 
for me, the layout of Fantasyland at the Magic Kingdom was not an improvement over Disneyland's, even though Disneyland's is small. But somehow for Fantasyland, that works. Um, And I I think just because, you know, ours is lush and tropical, and some of that is because of what we're going to discuss is a a significant difference in the layouts is, of course, what they did with the backstage areas. Um, We'll get into that, but that's one of the reasons there aren't a lot of trees throughout much of the Magic Kingdom. And I, I just... It's just that Fantasyland was a straightaway, and then they kept, and and this isn't layout, but they kept the same design as the original Disneyland, when they could have done something really different, but Roy Disney just, with this land, he wanted to go with, which was tried and true. And when we explore what this land originally had been conceived of, as, you know, in future episodes of Connecting with Walt, you're really going to wish that that, that that Roy really, as much as he carried out Walt's vision, that he had carried out that vision for Fantasyland, yeah, and and the and the other Imagineers' visions. Um, this just I, I don't find it enchanting or charming. This Fantasyland, it's just too much concrete. At least the water from Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea softened it, um, gave it an aesthetic, gave it. You know, like our submarine voyage really does, it adds so much to our Tomorrowland that, um, you know, that it's just so, you know, that oh, yeah. it just, it landscape wise no, and, and all that. There's no arguing. Our yeah. entire Magic Kingdom is a concrete jungle in yeah, and, and every sense of the term. And that's probably why what we're going to talk about towards the end was never recreated. That's probably one of that in cost, but um, I, so yeah, this fantasy land I, I'm not as enthused with as I am others. I do like the enchanted forest, but that feels a little cramped to me in there, and uh, but um, and I have an issue with double dumbos. I thought, well, I, I don't like this thing now. As if something's popular, instead of building another attraction that's different to that would attract guests you just build one more of the same thing you know like they did at toy, at toy story yeah. at hollywood studios or soren you know um, hey. over at epcot and all that stuff i so. wish we just still had starland and all those i do too great tributes to the 90s disney afternoon cartoons and uh, it basically just making kids of the late 80s and 90s extremely happy yeah. All well, and and it, it was a place where children could let off a little steam. Yeah. Too. But so this this layout I'm not as excited about. Also what I like about our uh, our Fantasyland at Disneyland is we do have levels uh that makes it more interesting, you know, because ours is a uh, an enchanted village kind of thing. There's things there's interesting uh you know f- uh, rooftop lines yeah. and and things going on in a window or two and you know Casey Junior Circus Train is elevated, um, so you everything you know the the Alice in Wonderland attraction has a second level, uh, you know you even have the monorail on the edge skirting along, um, so so you know there's different sort of levels to it to give you something visually 
interesting to look at and there's nothing like that also and that and that's different from layout but it sort of contributes to it where i just feel i'm just sort of plowing through the land that's very at, true at, at, at disney at the magic kingdom rather yeah. than at disneyland i feel my senses are a little more engaged there yeah, yeah very so, true anyway but um so now we have the realm that gives the Imagineers and Disney bookkeepers the most headaches, Tomorrowland. And when you think about the history of humanity, uh, civilization really didn't alter much for hundreds of years. Um, generations lived much as their ancestors did until the Industrial Revolution and then the age of technology in the latter half of the 20th century. Um, as a result, imagining the future and then constructing a permanent land to represent these concepts in an entertaining manner is daunting. Um, the Magic Kingdom's original Tomorrowland strongly drew from the Disneyland version. Uh, the stark, cold, white, austere architecture loomed over guests to depict the future imagined in films and television of that time. Um, however, since 1955... Imagineers have struggled how to present the world of tomorrow that doesn't appear outdated almost immediately. Um, also, how do they present a tomorrow expressing Walt Disney's optimistic vision for the future that presents the idealistic view of humanity being united by technology and advancements, you know, to a world that seems to possess an increasingly pessimistic view of the future coupled with technology and advancements that seem to be separating and isolating humanity. Um, you know, so at Disneyland, this is my least favorite realm. I avoid Tomorrowland um, when, as much as I can. Uh, I mean, maybe I'll go in and do star tours and um, and, and and maybe Space Mountain or something. But but if I do anything else in there, I skirt around, go around the Magic Kingdom, and you know, go in. Uh, I'm sorry, the Matterhorn, and go in the back way by submarines. It is just a mess. Um, mainly because they moved the the rocket ships from its perch. Yeah. Because our our Tomorrowland in '67 had three levels. With um, on the ground were the attractions, the submarine voyage, and, and everything. Then we had the people mover platform, and then above that we had the um, rocket jets. And then they were converted to Astro Orbiter and moved to the entrance of Tomorrowland and it was just such a design disaster and layout disaster that uh, I just find it an unpleasant realm to be in Yeah, uh, I find the Tomorrowland layout at the Magic Kingdom much more successful and better at handling the crowds uh, I mean what are your thoughts on that Craig? Yeah it definitely uh it definitely was improved in terms of how it, how the layouts handled. But again, our I also don't really enjoy Disneyland's Tomorrowland as well as Walt Disney World. It's it's one of those ones that I really enjoyed as I was a kid growing up. I thought it was it was just a place that you could get lost in. Mm-hmm. Um, just loved. Love the neon lights all around. Just it is visual eye candy for ten year old boys. Um, 
and now the older I get, I just I lose that connection to it, and uh, it's I, I don't know what they could ever really do to pull it back in. I mean, yeah, the Space Mountain's always great, um, but I just I, I don't I don't see the connection to tomorrow anymore in there. It just does. It, it's lost that feeling, and. Uh, I'm almost at a loss for words anytime I try to talk about Tomorrowland. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess at the end of the day, at least we have Carousel of Progress in our Tomorrowland. And, and you have the People Mover yeah. as well. Uh, but, but I think overall the layout is a success. It, except for what what's called what the Avenue of Planets, where you do have multiple entrances to attractions like boom, boom, boom right there. So yeah. it's a little congested there. But Otherwise, when it opens up and you have Space Mountain over there and Carousel of Progress over there and, you know, all that, that's, um, I think that's nice. They they didn't do very well with dealing with that stage where there's no seating and there's no covering, but it's in a fine location. Yeah, but um, I would, uh, you would ask a group of, you know, I don't want to say locals here because not really, but big Disney World fans, if they would rather have the dance party stage sticking its way out there or have the old stage that was there before very, very kind of not out of the way. Obviously, you would be able to see it, but it it just fit in perfectly. That never needed to go anywhere. But instead, Mm -hmm. they they made some changes around with that. Um, I just I don't think anyone would have made that decision what to do it. But therein lies one of the bigger problems with Disney World and its layout and having that extra space and being able to do more things is that we get more awful, awful dance parties uh, spread around and shows that lack in terms of theming and imagination whereas in disneyland uh you know if you want to have a really bad dance party then you are able to just stick it away to to rot in a mostly uh forgotten (laughs) section of a park (laughs) yes that's true california adventure you just dump it in hollywood land exactly So, anyway, so so I think with this one, we sort of like what, um, in terms of layout, what the Imagineers did. Yeah. You know, with this one. Just so, not what they put into it. They need yeah. a little bit more work on that still. So, But, you know, if they wanted to build another theater for, for Stitch, I'm sure that would be well received. How they haven't yet, <laughs> I can't believe. No, really. So, now, as the story goes, one day Walt was spending some time in Disneyland and saw a cowboy walking through Tomorrowland on his way to Frontierland. And Walt, always mindful of theme and storytelling in his park, believed this detracted from the theme of Tomorrowland and would be jarring to guests. In what may be the most significant change between the layout of Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World is that much of the backstage area went below ground. Utility tunnels, better known to the public as utilidors, were designed to keep the park operations invisible to guests. Now, the Magic Kingdom is built upon soil which was dredged from what is now the Seven Seas Lagoon. And due to the high water table of the Disney World property, the Utilidors were actually built at ground level, covered over with dirt, 
and the Magic Kingdom was built on the second level. And as a result, the streets of, streets of Main Street USA are elevated by one story. And parts of Fantasyland, including the Cinderella Castle, are at second and third story level. And the ground's incline is so gradual, the guests don't notice they are ascending to second and third stories as they're, as they're walking around the park. Um, the Enchanted Forest and Storybook Circus are not built above Utilidors because these realms were added after the Magic Kingdom opened, which means they can support the trees. Um, the Utilidors cannot support a lot of trees due to their weight. Um, so that's one of the reasons uh, that the Magic Kingdom doesn't, throughout the park, have the lushness mm-hmm. that visitors comment on um, yeah. when they visit Disneyland. Um, now, the Utilidors cover nine acres, and the floor plan is a circle with a path down the middle. Uh, the tunnel walls are color-coded to make it easier for cast members to determine their location, although... I that never helped me. <laughs> um, cast members travel the tunnels on foot or in battery-operated vehicles resembling golf carts. Uh, gasoline-powered vehicles are not allowed in the Utilidors, with the exception of armored cash pickup trucks and in extreme emergencies ambulances. Um, cast members may access the Utilidors from several entrances through the Magic Kingdom, and many shops and restaurants have direct access. Um, guests are not allowed in the Utilidors unless they are part of an official guided tour. Now, you, people might be really surprised by what's actually down there. Um, there's a lot of facilities and services. Um, there's waste removal. The Magic Kingdom uses an automated vacuum collection and AVAC system for waste removal. Um, custodians remove trash from the park 24 hours a day, then dump it into the AVAC system processors throughout the park. Um, the trash then travels through pneumatic tubes to a central location where it is processed and compressed for transfer to a landfill recycling plant. Electrical operations are down there. Um, electrical uh, Engineering Central, the park's computer system. Um, old-timers might remember when it was called DAX. <clears throat> That's operated and monitored from control rooms in the Utilidors. Um, this system monitors everything in the park, from sound systems, attractions, audio animatronic figures, parades, fire prevention, security systems, environmental controls, cash registers, and even more probably those those wonderful magic bands um, <laughs> deliveries and storage warehouses uh, uh, deliveries are received processed and stored um, at the utilidors until needed Th- this ensures guests do not see delivery trucks uh, nor do they see cast members transporting merchandise through the park as as we commonly see at Disneyland um, food service, uh, the park's cooking and prep kitchens are housed in the Utilidors. Uh, costuming, although cast member costumes were moved to another facility years ago, the wardrobes of the Disney characters are available here. Um, cast member services are down here. Separate locker rooms for men and women are located in the Utilidors, as well as cast member cafeterias. There are also are limited banking services, an employee hair salon called Kingdom Clutters, both um, with K's at the beginning of the words, um, rehearsal rooms, and administrative offices. 
There's emergency services. There are medical carts housed in the utilidors, and they're deployed whenever there is a medical emergency in the Magic Kingdom. So with all of these services, the utilidors have been referred to as an underground city. So, Craig, do you do you think the utilidors provide a solution to the problem Walt saw at Disneyland, or have do they have their own set of problems that aren't at Disneyland? Yeah, I kind of have to lean a little bit more on the side that they just have caused a set of problems not present at Disneyland. While they do some fantastic things, and they keep a lot of this stuff completely out of the uh, the complete viewpoint of guests and they they have it all hidden uh, i still see the side of it is that magic kingdom was blessed with all this land that they could have put a lot of these operations on outside of and still managed to to build all, all the way around the park and keep things around it to have these instead of placing it underground um and based off of some of the things that you mentioned before as you started it it's with the, especially with like the um the the landscaping issues that come into play because of it um i just it, it's my opinion i would prefer having that landscaping having that uniqueness to it and instead of having this system that's really just for people who are back of house yeah it's great for them but you know i've i've known many people who have worked down there and they hate the utilidors they did not enjoy it they would rather work at a park where you didn't have to deal with it at all especially now where you know you have to park at magic kingdom parking and then take your bus Mm -hmm. all the way to go down to get dropped off and then go from there it's just it's essentially become a pain whereas i loved working at epcot where i could park in the parking lot walk in through the uh walk in through the the main cast building that we had and then you know if you worked all the way on the other side of the park yeah you would either take a bus around or you did have the option of walking through yeah it it would ruin that aesthetic of my goodness you can't see someone walking past test tract wearing a a finding nemo uh living seas uh costume but it just it made life so much easier and in the day and age we're at where um people aren't really paying attention to these things and some of the cast members behavior is so out of place with what uh original you know that that kind of feeling you get from disneyland cast members where they really care they're really there to work hard you don't get that a lot at disney world while disney world so um you know why why worry about something as simple as from the cast member standpoint of hiding them and having a cowboy walking through Adventureland or somewhere else because you know they're they're not even into it to begin with so once you but get them on board then maybe yeah. it's a good thing but yeah we well, have to work on standards and morale i mean that's a whole different yeah. set of issues yep. i know i know pete pete werner our our founder, he he has some very definite opinions as to why that's true. I think it's the humidity. <laughs> it just zaps the life out of you. But um, sometimes those cast members just look so yeah. miserable. <laughs> and so I, I do feel for them. But, uh, yeah, um, uh, there, there was something that had popped into my head. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, this was never repeated at a park. I think one of the reasons for the existence of the Utilidors was Magic Kingdom was built when there was still the plan to build Epcot City. And this was very much a plan for Epcot City on a large, huge scale, where all of the, the utilities and the supports and delivery system and the auto travel was all going to be beneath the city. And this, this was the, the test, really, to see would it work. And, um, you know, and, and to a certain extent it does. You know, yeah. but but there yeah. there are drawbacks. I think if Disneyland had something like this, you know, it would make it easier to expand. What it's doing in order to expand is it's moving everything you know off site, a lot of its backstage areas, so that it can expand its uh, different lands. Yes, very true. So, um, again, the blessing of size. Yes. So, so, so. Um, but um, and I know that. Well, the, and I know somebody will say, "Well, they did repeat the Utilidors." I know that there is a tunnel to part of Future World. Yes, there at is Epcot, but that that doesn't. It's not the same thing. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's much much different. So, yeah. and and there and I there is. It's not well known. There is a tiny little tunnel over in Tomorrowland at Disneyland. That's more to get to the stage. That rises up Tomorrowland Terrace and things like that, and um, so it's it's not a utilidor either. Yeah, I so. figured. I didn't uh, otherwise. Where where the heck do they come out of the? Where the heck right. do they go in the ground that they're able to come out? Right, exactly. They they they, they jump into the lagoon. Okay, <laughs> and they swim over. It's either that or witchcraft, one that's, or the other. <laughs> so that's see the mermaids doubled as you know band members. Over, <laughs> they just swam over there, took off their suits, and anyway. Um, so now, so now after our comparison of the layouts of Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom, let's go back to our original premise for the show. Do you believe the Magic Kingdom's plan was planned with lessons learned from Disneyland? Um, is it a significant progression from Walt's original park, or is Walt's original plan so perfect that significant improvements are not possible? Uh, I. I don't know. Maybe it's just that I was, since I was just out in Disneyland, but I think the original plan was so perfect that significant improvements are not possible. I, you know, with, there are the, the several issues that we did bring up with Disneyland, but uh, based on what we've talked about, it's, I, I think for me though personally it just weighs that there's still more issues with walt disney world and what they tried to deal with it um yes it was technologically way more innovative in how they were building it and how they brought everything together but uh with with that mix again we we lost that charm and that's part of what makes makes one of these castle parks so enticing so uh adds that repeatability factor to it and uh for you know if you're only used to coming to disney world well disney world you're not going to see this that often if you only go to disneyland you're not going to see this that often but if you visit both parks uh on a regular basis it it really does stick out as an apparent thing so i just there's something that is perfect about disneyland in my eyes i don't know what it is but it's there it's what i feel Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and 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 I think that that hub and spoke and and wheel that I think was definitely yeah. an improvement at Magic Kingdom. Yes, which that's sounds, a lesson learned. Now, now lesson. and Disneyland has tried to incorporate that. Yeah, um, as they grew in certain sections, you know, like the addition of the Big Thunder Trail. Um, you know, when they added in the Matterhorn and all of that, they opened up that yes. back area. Um, there, as part of the Star Wars expansion, there's going to be a, a couple of other trails opened, also connecting a couple of different sections of the park yeah. uh, where you have more direct routes. At least that was in the initial plan. You know how yes. your plans can be fluid. Uh, so, you know, so definitely, the, I, I think definitely there were a lot of lessons learned. And there were a lot of things that, you know, really worked at Disneyland. The interesting thing is, I do, I think the hub and spoke and wheel design really definitely work. You don't see it repeated in other non-Disney parks. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's because it is so closely associated with Disney. Uh, Disney that parks don't want to repeat it, or um, or or what? But uh, it, it really there there are some parks that come close. I think one of Universal Orlando's parks. I can't remember which one. I thought it sort of came close. Islands of Adventure. Yeah, it's yeah. got the same idea. Uh, it's it doesn't have the hub and spoke as much as it has just the wheel. Um, mm-hmm. And that the the big lagoon area there, that's their, that's where their hub and all the spokes will go out. But instead, you enter in uh, similarly to how Walt Disney World is. You walk down their main street, their port of entry, but then you have your choice of left and right, and then you just complete that giant circle. Mm-hmm. So um, very similar in that essence, um, and I think that's why it works very well there. However, if you're all the way in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and you want to get back to the the front of the park instead of just being able to take a, a quick shortcut straight across, uh, you know, you have to walk all the way around, which yeah, is inconvenient. I, I do remember that. <laughs> I think about it. Because yeah. um, I did that several times in one day, and I thought, oh, okay, yeah. I've got to really learn this park. Exactly. Yeah, you have to really start planning out what I want to do, when I want to do it, or you're going to find yourself walking in circles constantly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so, so now that'll be interesting for our guests. Yep. Now you have, if you're a Disneylander, here's yet another reason to visit Disney World. See what you think of the layout of the Magic Kingdom, and the same thing if you're a Disney Worlder and you've never been to Disneyland, here's yet another reason. Come out and, and compare and contrast the, the layouts of our parks. And, yes. and, and form your own opinion and, and let us know. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. So now, now many books, films, articles, and interviews and lectures were sourced for this episode of Connecting with Walt, including Theme Park Design and the Art of Themed Entertainment by David Younger, The Imagineering Field Guide to the Magic Kingdom by Walt of Walt Disney World by the Imagineers, all of them. Um, And Since the World Began, Walt Disney World, The First 25 Years by Jeff Curdy. So, 
you know, until next time, you know, join us um, next week for episode 17 of Connecting with Walt, which is titled Castles Built from Dreams. The centerpiece of every Disney Magic Kingdom is a castle. In this episode, we'll discuss why Walt Disney chose to include a castle in his kingdoms and where did the designers look to for inspiration in designing the castles. So, Craig, until our next episode, where can our listeners find you? You can find me all the same places every time on uh, Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> on the We have Disney new World listeners Edition. every day. You're right. We do. Uh, Disney World Edition, uh, Universal Edition, uh, sometimes Diz Pop, and... Uh, I think that is the full list. Unless okay. I forgot something. <laughs> and and you can watch your your artistry on when you go to our YouTube channel. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That is a good point. We do have a YouTube channel, and uh, mm-hmm. you should subscribe to both of our YouTube channels. Actually, lots of different, unique, fun videos are up there all the time, including a ton from Disneyland and Walt Disney World, mostly. Excellent. Good. And you can find me every Sunday night on the Dis Unplugged podcast, Disneyland edition, with my good friends Tom Bell, Nancy Johnson, Mary Jo Mulatto-Willie, and Tony Spatel, where we have lots of fun talking about Walt's Park that started it all, and all Southern California theme parks, the Walt Disney Family Museum, and even more Disney history. Listen to us live on Mixler, Sundays at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, Disneyland time. You can download our two weekly shows from iTunes each Monday. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disunplug.com. You can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. On Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Musketeer Michael. And on Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. <laughs>